Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. And we're your Delulu but delightful hosts back for part two of Brittany Murphy. In this episode, we are going to discuss some pretty dark thematics. So trigger warning, there's literally every trigger warning that we could give. I feel like it's covered in this episode. So it's not as bubblegum pop and pink and happy and fluffy and Furby as we normally like to be. But again, this was a news story that just totally consumed us in 2009, 2010. And there are some really interesting theories that we've seen pop up around this. And the circumstances surrounding Brittany Murphy's death are just still something that is a big topic of interest still today. So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you don't want to tune in, we get it. But mm-hmm. before we get into the dark and nitty gritty, let's talk about some Y2K news for you to know. First things first, InSync is still top of mind forever. And Mary, did you see their Hot Ones episode? Mm, I saw images of it. Oh my God. <laughs> I dying i have to say i actually liked justin for the really i know i liked him because there was this one scene where they're like all the way i think they're at like their their hottest wing to date and everyone's like dying lance has to go off he's like (sighs) issues and blowing his nose and joey's just dying chris is like has totally resigned and jason (laughs) goes guys i I, i'm sorry i'm fine and justin just goes shut up jc it was really sweet i feel like it was just a very cool thing that they did and i loved watching it the dynamic is clearly still there that's the word i couldn't find thank you mary <laughs> that's why you do crosswords every day in your vocabulary oh a plus <laughs> um speaking of i bought a crossword book because of you and i, you did? I did um, i feel like i could feel my vocabulary growing see i do easy like did you get an easy one like new york times okay. easy I literally got the nice and easy one. There's like a beach chair on the cover. Oh. It's like the New York Times ones. And my dad and I were doing it this weekend. We were like, this is not nice and easy. <laughs> the more you do it, though, I've learned you get like better at it. It's like an, a skill. Right. So, and there's so many words that it. they repeat. I I honestly get oh, yeah. sort of mad. But InSync was one of the clues. Oh, I know. I was dying. So speaking of NSYNC, their song comes out this week. It is Tuesday, September 26th when we're recording this. By the time you're all listening, you will have access to the full version of A Better Place. Just let me take you to a better place. I'm gonna make you kiss the sky tonight. Tell us on our Instagram at when they popped pod if you like it. How do you feel about it? In the Hot Ones episode, they mentioned that they wanted it to feel comfortable and familiar while still feeling modern, which I thought was a really great way of describing how boy bands can, you know, modernize in today's day and age. You don't want to be like coming out with something that sounds like it should have been debuted in 1999, but you still want to feel that familiarity with the group you love. A mix of nostalgia and modern. I'll take it. But what Justin said that I didn't like, he was like, not nostalgic. Like it was some dirty word. (laughs) Also, my TikTok feed fully knows that I'm like an insane girly now because (laughs) it was like, that's a joke, by the way. Legally, that was a joke. All right, Mary, talk us through our next item. Well, as we all know, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are dating. And this isn't really Y2K news, but it is just the news 
of <laughs> like, that's all that my TikTok feed is. I'm like, I can't stop seeing it. But I have my suspicions. Kelsey, as our PR expert, any thoughts? I know. It's like, oh, a little too convenient, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's wearing the 1989 outfit. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think when you're Taylor Swift and you have this many eyes on you, it's hard for anything you do to not feel contrived or to not feel because people will theorize every color nail polish that she has on, you know, like yeah. you find meaning in anything. I feel like she's just going to a football game and trying to have a good time and like shooting the shit with his mom. I did see like a cheat sheet of like, what is football? What do Chiefs fans do? Pretty much like explaining the Chiefs culture and Travis's publicist commented on the Dumois post and debunked it. So you know that their publicists are all over it. They're not shutting down any of these rumors. So there might be some truth to it. Who knows? But also them leaving in like a convertible. And she threw her head back laughing like a little kid in the convertible. I could it was too much for me. It's too much. Right. It's giving like a rom-com that comes (sighs) out around Christmas. Either way, I think it's fascinating. Go Taylor. I'm happy to see some coming together news instead of just all the Joe and Sophie divorce drama. So it's like a welcome, happy occasion, you know? True. True. Also, I want to know what Kevin Richardson thinks because he loves the Mm. City Chiefs. He goes to like the Super Bowl and they're like friends with like the owners. I would love to know what Kevin thinks about it. As a fan, I would be worried that this is going to have like the Jessica Simpson effect written all over it. The Khloe Kardashian. Yes. Every time she went to it. But they won. But it's still like if he has a bad game, they might be like, Taylor Swift. They will blame everything on her. But I loved I saw some video of the players like looking up to the box and and everyone's reactions. I love the power that she has. Like, man. Literally. Like, they wouldn't shut up about it on the NFL Network. All right. Moving on. Another amazing news, guys. Kelsey and I have an upcoming reunion, a Backstreet Boys theme reunion in Boston. We're going to be going to Nick's solo show together. I'm making the trip in November. She's a little Delulu and deranged, but I could not not go with my Kels. And so if you're going, let us know. And we'll do a live epi, maybe, if we can figure it out. We're so excited. And as a final housekeeping item before we dive into the dark and gloomy of today's episode, we have merch on the horizon. So many of you have reached out asking where Mary got her shirt that she was wearing at 90s con. And Mary and I have been hard at work trying to put on our design hats. We are women of the arts after all. So we would actually love your guys' input. So this week, please keep an eye on our Instagram at when they popped pod because we'll be posting some designs. You guys are really the reason why we're doing merch in the first place. So we want to hear your input. So follow us on Instagram this week so you can vote on your fave products and we'll let you know more about a launch date soon. And Kelsey's just being modest. She is the only one with the design hat on. And I am just because if they're ugly, I don't want people to blame me. (laughs) Well, I I okayed them so they can blame us both. But um, they're really cute and you guys will like them. But moving on, I want to start this episode that I have labeled spooky scary in my notes because it is a little spooky scary and creepy and upsetting and disturbing. But I want to give a different kind of disclaimer before we dive in. And A ton of stuff we're going to talk about today is alleged. 
A lot of this is nothing more than theories and or speculation. We don't know what happened and we aren't here to point guilt at one person, but we've been doing research. We've been listening to sources on both sides of the aisle of kind of what happened. I'm also going to cite someone that I referred to as Uncle Enti quite a few times in this episode. And just in case you don't know who that is, that's Enti Lawyer, the man behind the original blind item site, Crazy Days and Nights, that's still up and running today. He legitimately walked so, you know, our modern day Dumois could run. He is our founding father of blind items. Now, Enti Lawyer is an anonymous entertainment lawyer in Hollywood. See what he did with that? pseudonym, anti lawyer, entertainment lawyer. I love it. And he's been at it since the early 2000s. But he has a podcast on Patreon that we'll link to, but he was actually acquaintances with Britney back in the day and has some inside knowledge because of that, obviously, and his position in the entertainment industry. I've been a subscriber for years, and he did a three-part series on Britney that I have listened to more than once. It's very eye-opening, alarming, and I just want to mention some of the theories that he brought up in this episode, but I just want to make it very clear that anything we're talking about, if it's based on blind items, whatever, we have to take that with a grain of salt. It's all alleged. Hence this long-winded blanket alleged disclaimer for this entire episode. And that's why Mary went to law school. (laughs) So here's where we left off. If you haven't listened to part one, please do, because that is the happy, fuzzy, warm part of this two-part series where we talk about all of our favorite Britney Murphy movies and how she popped. So here is where we left off. Britney has just caught a cold in Puerto Rico that her mom and Simon also had. She has just been fired from her most recent acting job after acting allegedly erratically on set, including taking long bathroom breaks and consistently forgetting her lines. Plus, her husband allegedly showed up drunk to set and was being disruptive. So all of these things are happening at once. And sadly, just one month later, Brittany would be declared dead at just 32 years old. And it's important to remember just laying this foundation. She was teeny tiny at this time. It was estimated she was about 100 pounds. And it's reported that on the night of December 19th, 2009, she was having trouble breathing. And I read accounts that this would happen, like she would be going up the stairs and she would like have to stop because she couldn't breathe. But on the 19th and in previous times, she just would not call a doctor, especially she was thinking of that negative attention she had gotten after, you know, the incident in Puerto Rico while filming The Caller, like Kelsey said, and also uh, Simon's heart attack on the plane where she had to give CPR to him. Like there was just a lot of tabloid vitriol that she probably wanted to avoid. And December 19th, it was a Saturday night and she was having so much trouble breathing that some sources alleged, including the Hollywood reporter, that she finally gave in and decided that she needed to make a doctor's appointment for Monday. And I couldn't find anything that confirmed that this appointment was true or on the books, but I've heard some people speculate that it might have just been created as part of the story to make a tragic situation even worse. And I just think it's really important that if you're new to this story or if you're just remembering it from living through it, that this was a time when paparazzi and celebrity blogging surveillance was at an all-time mm. high. And the stories about these fallen stars like Britney Spears and this paved the way for you know Lindsay Lohan, this made a lot of money for many people. So the more sensational the story was, the bigger the payday was. So just important to keep that in mind that maybe that's why Brittany didn't end up going to the hospital, but 
it's just important that we keep that background in mind. That's a good point, Kelson. Either way, as we all know, that this tragic turn of the story is Brittany, whether she made the appointment or not, did not make it to Monday. Right. So let's talk about the night before she died. As you mentioned, Brittany was incredibly ill and she allegedly collapsed in front of Simon and her mother. And she, by some reports, told her mother, Mommy, I don't feel well. She had been sick and coughing so hard to the point of throwing up. But instead of calling 911, Sharon, her mother, Simon, her husband, decided to look over her. And the last time that they saw her, Brittany went into her bathroom to tinker around with her hundreds of products. Apparently, Simon said that Brittany loved spending time in the bathroom. It was her favorite room in the house that she hated, trying out all of these different products. And she would spend hours in there. And by the sounds of it, they had some serious hoarding tendencies. So we'll talk more on this later. So it's early the next morning and Brittany has collapsed again, allegedly, because this is where things get murky. We don't really know when the last time Simon or Sharon saw Brittany alive. But what we do know for sure is that at 8 a.m., Sharon called 911 and said something along the lines of, there's somebody passed out here. And she was clearly very upset and was told to administer CPR to her daughter. An ambulance eventually arrived, but Brittany was pronounced dead at the hospital at 10 a.m. on December 20th, 2009. Okay, so right away, I get some alarm bells with this. You know, obviously the narrative, the story from Sharon and Simon is that they called 911 right away upon discovering Brittany at 8 a.m. that morning. But I have heard a few sources claim, including... Uncle Auntie, that rigor mortis had actually already sat in, aka that's when, you know, after you pass away, after a certain amount of time, the body gets stiff, it gets rigid. A certain level of rigor mortis doesn't take place until after about 12 hours of being dead. And so if that is true, and that is a huge if, this is all alleged, that would mean Brittany died closer to 9 p.m. the night prior, potentially, raising like a ton of questions as to like, where were Simon and Sharon? Why didn't anyone check on her? Why wasn't 911 called earlier? Just like, I have a ton of questions in my brain after that. Right. And I mean, there's so many conflicting reports out there. And just to play devil's advocate, and again, because there's so many different conflicting theories out here, and we're just reporting on those. (laughs) I've seen some reports that there's no mention of that. And instead, they tell Sharon's side of the story, which was that Brittany fell into Sharon's arms said, Mommy, I'm dying. I love you. And then Sharon immediately called 911. While others claim she was found unresponsive in the bathroom, you know, we don't know for sure what happened that morning, bottom line. I will say the whole, Mommy, I'm dying. I love you. And then falling into your mom's arms sounds like romanticized isn't the right word, but it sounds like too perfect or too nice for Sharon. I don't it know. Sounds, it sounds like it's dramatizing an already severely traumatic, yes. dramatic situation. Like this is a dire situation. And if Brittany did look at her mom and say, Mommy, I'm dying, it's really upsetting and disturbing. Yeah. I hope that didn't happen. I know. It's just like, that seems like almost too much for me to comprehend is actually happening. But obviously, we don't know. So Sharon actually made that claim when her and Simon appeared on Larry King Live for a very uh, interesting interview after Brittany's passing. And Larry pressed her for more details. Like he wanted to know more about kind of this moment where Brittany died. And Sharon seemed confused. She said, no, no, this actually happened an hour before she died. 
I'll say this because I know you can't. She said, Mom, I'm dying. I love you. And Mom, I'm dying. I love you. She knew she was dying. <laughs> This is a better hour before. So, like, the stories are not straight. And one thing that is true about this case is there's a ton of confusion, mixed messages, and just, like, a general lack of clarity. And I do not like it. We do not like it at all. But things only got more confusing from there. Because after Brittany died, we're getting all these mixed messages. And then Simon says that he does not want to conduct an autopsy, which just automatically raised eyebrows without a serious reason to pause an autopsy, like a religious exemption, which is what he claimed. The autopsy did move forward. But it's like, in addition to a 32-year-old actress dying suddenly... And then, like, her creepy-ass husband, everybody knows to be a fraudster, refusing an autopsy, Mm. you know, what spurred even more suspicion around her death was that mind-boggling appearance on Larry King Live that you mentioned, Mary. We'll talk about their dynamic more in a bit, but Simon referenced his refusal for an autopsy by saying that he didn't want her body to be violated. And he said something along the lines of her body, which had curves in all the right hmm. places you were a religious orthodox jew i was so orthodox jews don't want autopsies right it wasn't that i mean i, I could blame the religion for the easiest thing to do there was this woman who just lost her daughter who who to us it was such a shock this pristine body that was curvy in all the right places so and an the skin accident. like silk and I, how could i say in front of her mother cut her up i mean it was just and what kind of insanity is that And he's on live television, supposedly grieving his wife with his mother-in-law, who's grieving her dead daughter. And like, you're oh, oh, so gross. He also said he didn't need Brittany to see a doctor when she was sick because he claimed he was a rabbi. So they prayed instead of seeing a doctor. What happened that day was Brittany had laryngitis. I've no idea what to do with laryngitis. I'm a rabbi, not a doctor. So I pray instead of prescribe. There's just a lot of claims that he made during this interview that it just really, everyone was obsessed with what happened to Bernie Murphy. Like, none of this makes sense. Both the occurrence and how they, like, once she died, kind of, the more we got to look inside their life and their private life, like, the more questions we had. Like, for example... This part made me really sad. Bryn Kurt James, who is the author of the Brittany Murphy Files, wrote that when she died, Brittany was surrounded by, quote, a mountain of clothes, makeup, perfumes, an oxygen machine, and medical supplies. It was a ready-made drugstore. The large bed was stained and the sheets twisted and drenched in sweat. Flanking each side of the bed were nightstands covered in half-drunk bottles of water, prescription medication bottles, some open and some empty and used tissues, end quote. So like that is just not, I think, the image a lot of us had in our minds of like what Brittany Murphy's life was like behind closed doors. And it was just really sad. For me, my bedroom is like my sanctuary. And it just sounds like this place for her, her home, her bedroom was just like this chaotic, messy, unkempt situation. And I just hate that that's like kind of where she went out. Right. I read that apparently this wasn't just the case for their room, but also their entire home. Apparently, Simon invited Radar online to their home to give them like a home tour following Brittany's death, which in itself is like, what? Mm. Like, what are you doing? Mm. And 
audiences could see that their home was in total disarray. There were clothes everywhere. I saw some screenshots and some old articles. Like they said, this is the living room and the dining room, but you could not tell. It was so dark in there. There was no natural light and there were just clothes everywhere. I think what may have contributed to that is, you know, since marrying Simon, Brittany had become incredibly fearful of the paparazzi. She'd grown increasingly paranoid. Simon was also allegedly actively isolating Brittany from everybody around her. As a reminder, he fired her entire team, including even her makeup artists, and assumed those roles himself as her manager, her agent, her... Like, what business did this man have doing any of those jobs? Clearly, she was really detached from reality at this point. Allegedly, they had installed more than 56 cameras in their property, and they had fingerprint-enabled door locks. I read that they even hired a security guard to patrol their property 24 hours a day. Mary will touch on some of the theories around maybe what was fueling a lot of this paranoia. And in interviews, Simon's mom claimed that he would say there were helicopters surveilling them. And even she was like, they were hoarders. Like, it was not a good situation. So this unhealthy home environment seems to be a product of that extremely reclusive lifestyle. And it's an unhealthy home environment. And also she hates the home. So like, does it get any worse than that? Like, I can't imagine, but you're absolutely right, Kels. Uncle Auntie absolutely confirmed these feelings of paranoia. He was actually on set with Brittany for a movie she was doing in 2009 and noticed that not only did she not look well, but she apparently also expressed these feelings of paranoia as well. And Auntie told a story, this is all public record, but in October of 2009, Brittany called 911 because she reported hearing gunshots outside of her Hollywood house, somewhere where you would not hear gunshots normally. Apparently, she was out on her balcony, like screaming, yelling for help. And that's how the LAPD found her when they arrived. And Apparently, no weapon, bullet, any sign of foul play was found. And the cops kind of opened and shut the case. They said, oh, it was coming from your generator. That was their response to what caused the noises. But to add to this mystery, Auntie swears up and down that this home does not have a generator. I scoured the internet and couldn't find anything to confirm either way, if they have one or if they don't. But it definitely adds more to this mystery. It's evidence of this paranoia regardless. And I mean, if it wasn't a generator, could it actually have been gunshots? Could it have been maybe like one of those car engines? It's like pop, pop, pop. You know, I don't know. Just more. Yes. More questions than answers. So immediately after Brittany's death in December 2009, so that's only three months after she reported hearing these gunshots, there was obviously a ton of speculation and assumption that this was a drug overdose, mostly because of how young she was and because of this image of her that had been perpetuated nonstop by the media. You know, we would see, oh, she's a drug addict. She has an eating disorder. Look at how skinny she is. It was just disgusting back then. I think we've gotten a little bit better, but it was extra disgusting back then. And while she was not, I guess, a known addict for years, there had been whispers that she, you know, like any young starlet, had tried drugs here and there, allegedly. But Simon countered that rumor saying that Brittany actually had a heart murmur 
that she was diagnosed with when she was young. And she knew that dabbling in these like so-called party drugs could legit kill her. Like when you have a heart condition like that, you know, you're playing with fire if you're doing drugs like that. So again, we don't know really what the truth is. We're never going to know. But the coroner did report that he found 90 prescription bottles on Simon's bedside table the night of Brittany's death. Many of these prescriptions were actually in the names of third parties, so not Brittany or Simon, which he presumed were aliases so they could pharmacy hop. Also to this coroner's report that came out in February of 2010, the main cause of her death was not drugs. So this overdose theory didn't really stick because she died of pneumonia with contributing factors of iron deficiency, anemia, and multiple drug intoxication. But again, these weren't your party drugs that you would expect to find in like a Hollywood starlet. So there was just like a range of over-the-counter prescription medications in her system, most of them being used to treat a cold or a respiratory infection. These drugs in her system were not like accidental OD drugs or that type of thing. And the anemia that the coroner determined also to be another contributing factor in her death was, again, likely caused by the fact that she was so tiny. She was so underweight. I saw also in a bunch of reports that she was also anemic because she got really heavy periods. And like people don't die from anemia alone. No. But it just makes it harder, from what I've read, to fight off other illnesses. So I think that's why we saw so much about the anemia. And this really made me upset because we know she was so tiny and you would think she would go home to a supporting husband, but apparently Simon was very critical of her and her physical appearance and encouraged her throughout their marriage to lose more weight, get more work done, etc. And the coroner was even quoted saying, to develop an anemia of this nature, she was not eating. I just find that you know, sickening. It is so gross. And I saw that allegedly two of the medications that were in her name on her bedside table were seizure medications that are commonly used for epilepsy. And Brittany wasn't epileptic, but allegedly Simon did need that medication for seizures. So it's just kind of weird that it was in her name, not his. But I read that this drug could be used as an appetite suppressant. So it's mm. possible she may have been taking that as also like a weight loss supplement. Also, this is where we're really confused about all the conflicting information out there. I read another report that she had four different kinds of benzos in her system, which does suggest a drug addiction. So maybe it wasn't like heroin or coke or one of those party drugs, but it did seem like she had a roving pharmacy in her home. One of the things that a pathologist um, reported as to why Brittany may have been so predisposed to taking so many medications was because she was in a car accident in 1995 that left her severely injured. She had a broken jaw, cracked ribs. So she obviously took a lot of medication for that, but it's been speculated that she developed a type of hypochondria after that. So she was really nervous about being sick again. So perhaps that's why she was so comfortable, you know, taking so many different kinds of drugs to self-medicate instead of going to a doctor. It's, it's so interesting. And just this barrage of information we threw at you and different stories and different perspectives. It's no surprise that over the years, fans and just true crime fans have, you know, really questioned the likelihood that a 32-year-old died from pneumonia and or anemia. And as we all probably know, it didn't just stop there. This story absolutely exploded into astronomical levels when Simon died less than six months after Brittany on May 23rd, 2010, 
from pneumonia and anemia as well. Like, are you kidding me? The exact same cause of death as his wife. Like, you cannot make this shit up. And the argument doesn't apply with Simon for me because he was not a teeny tiny man like Brittany was. Like, the argument was made that, oh, Brittany was so small, she couldn't fight this off like a normal person could. Her immune system was impaired, she wasn't eating, etc. But Simon was a big man. And that is really what set my like alarm bells ringing in this case. Right. You weren't the only one who had alarm bells going off because the tabloids went bananas like (laughs) all over again. I mean, not that the controversy or mystery around Brittany had gone anywhere. It just totally took it to new heights. And the conspiracy theories really started to ramp up in severity especially when the 911 call is released when Sharon finds Simon and is overheard referring to Simon as baby. Oh God, while I'm throwing up internally, this might be a good time to discuss the dynamic between Sharon and Simon a bit after Brittany's death. It took a really weird turn that didn't really reflect great on either of them. It kind of made collectively everybody go like, what? And I kind of wonder internally, like, if this was a dynamic that just emerged immediately after Britney's death, or if this was something that kind of existed prior to her death, we don't know. But what is certain that <laughs> after, who knows, but after Britney died and the next five months prior to Simon's death, Simon and Sharon lived together, which, okay, like the three of them all lived together while Britney was alive, but like, Some separation would seem appropriate once their uniting factor, seemingly, Brittany, was dead, right? Nope. Wrong. In fact, quite the opposite. The dynamic duo even did this photo shoot together after Brittany's death, which, according to a source in the HBO documentary, What Happened to Brittany Murphy, and legit anybody with eyes who could see this photo shoot, it looks like parents grieving as opposed to a husband and his mother-in-law. They're like holding hands in some pictures and like gazing into one another's eyes. Like, uh, Also, Simon seemed to call Sharon baby himself in that infamous Larry King interview that we mentioned earlier no 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 baby this was you forgotten oh, time oh it was just a pr nightmare sharon and simon talked about moving to new york city together after Brittany's death and simon mentioned that he intended to bring sharon to europe with him while he was working on an upcoming project they also shared joint custody of Brittany's dog and while no one ever really claimed to know for certain if they were in a intimate relationship We can make our own assumptions on that one. But Sharon did confirm that they shared a bed after Brittany's death. I saw that too. Yes. She said it was so that they could comfort one another. But then immediately, I read that she like later refuted ever saying this. So it's like, what is it? Which one is it? Oh, On this disgusting note, yeah, I know. While we know Brittany died in her bathroom, and this bathroom was like an ensuite off her bedroom, like connected, NT alleged that it was his opinion that Simon slept in Sharon's room even prior to Brittany's death. That's why, if we're going to believe the theory that maybe Brittany had been dead longer than was alleged by Simon and Sharon, that may be why neither of them noticed that she had been dead for 12 hours on her floor because they were in a different room together. Again, we don't know. This is speculation, all alleged. But an interesting theory or plot twist, if true. Ugh. Also, like the plot thickens 
when Simon died, authorities, like, again, found a ton of prescriptions on either side of the bed. But this time, they found some prescribed to Sharon Monjack, a.k.a. his mother-in-law getting drugs under his last name. What? I On one hand, like, if I put myself in that awful situation where, like, I'm living with my spouse, they pass away, sadly, and then mm. my in-law, who, like, is the only family... Like, I would feel a responsibility to take care of them. Right. But not to the extent of, like, sleeping in my bed and, like, taking their last name and stuff. No. Brad and I have talked about, like, this might be weird, but it's like, if I die, like, could you still live here? And you'd be like, I no, I couldn't, I couldn't stay, like, where you had the memories with that person. It's just so interesting to me that they both, like, continue to live together in this, like, hoarded house where both of their love died. You know, I, sleeping in her bed. Uh, like, what? Okay, so the theories. Obviously, there's a ton of different theories as to what could have happened to Brittany. It could have been exactly as reported by the coroner. Her and Simon both died in pneumonia and acute anemia. However, I was taught in law school that there are no coincidences. And this just all seems way too coincidency for me. But again, just a very firm reminder, all of this is alleged. We do not claim to know what happened. These are theories and have been reported elsewhere, and we're kind of compiling them for you here. You're welcome. So let's start with the first one. This one is an easy one. Oh, my God. It the is black mold theory. Not weird, so it was reported that the L.A. Department of Health had considered toxic mold in the house as a possible cause of their death, which like... I kind of like that theory just without it knowing anything else. I'm like, okay, that would make sense to me. But of course, this was dismissed by the LA coroner, uh, Ed Winter, who handled this case. And he said there were no indicators that mold was a factor. And Sharon herself described the reports of mold as absurd, but she wouldn't even know. So it doesn't matter what she thinks. Do you um, think that maybe she was feeling like defensive of the family home like or maybe, maybe it would sort of implicate her as like trying to hide stuff if she thought something was wrong with the house and didn't like comply save. with an investigation i don't know it sounds like she's just kinda, like trying to save her butt a little maybe and this is what's funny is that sharon flipped the switch she completely changed her stance in 2011 and she came out fully saying toxic mold indeed did kill Brittany and Simon. And okay, she Sharon, yeah, com completely did a 180 and actually filed a lawsuit against her lawyers who represented her in an earlier suit against the builders of the home. Okay, but like, so it was a money grab. She's all about the Benjamins, baby. The Benjamins, baby. But like, let's look at this one with common sense. Brittany's mom, Sharon, went through two very intense rounds of cancer. She was immunocompromised. Why didn't Sharon get sick? And if there really was a concern for mold, why would she keep living in that house? Like the odds that the mold would impact her maybe even worse than the others are astronomical. Like this one is just, older. A, yes, this is one's just like an automatic no for me. It's funny that you say that this one made sense to you because I agree this was a really convenient reason mm -hmm. to explain something inexplicable. A young, vibrant 32-year-old woman and then her husband dying five months apart of the same causes. Like It just didn't make sense. And I agree that 
it would have provided closure, I believe, were this theory to be true. And it's funny in doing research for this episode, I still see people comment on like YouTube videos of Brittany, like it's so sad that she died from black mold in her <laughs> house. Like a lot of people, I think, cling to this one because it's the most convenient answer to explain something so tragic and unusual. I know. I really wanted it to be the molds. Like that would just tie a, a nice little bow on this, but I don't think it is molds. And we're going to move into a little more murky waters now with the heavy metals theory, which kind of then segues into the murder theories. We mentioned Brittany's father, Angelo Bertolotti, in our first episode. He was a mafia man. Him and Brittany did not have much of a relationship when she was growing up. There were stories that they connected in the last years of her life. Again, we don't know how true that is, but regardless, after her death, her father definitely got more involved. He's like us. He did not find the explanation given by the coroner to be satisfactory and believe there had to be more to the story. And in 2013, he told Good Morning America that he believed that Brittany was intentionally poisoned. In fact, he said, quote, I have a feeling that there was a definite murder situation here, end quote. So after her death, again, struggling to wrap his head around the circumstances of her death, Angelo commissioned a lab test in which Brittany's hair was tested for anything unusual. And he actually had to sue the L.A. coroner's office to get the release of her hair samples to have these tests taken. So they tested the hair and the lab produced a report and it showed a presence of heavy metals in her system when she died. I will read a quote from said report, quote, testing the hair strand sample identified as back of the head. We have detected 10 heavy metals at levels above the WHO high levels recommendation. If we were to eliminate the possibility of a simultaneous accidental heavy metals exposure to the sample donor, then the only logical explanation would be an exposure to these metals, toxins, administered by a third-party perpetrator with likely criminal intent, end quote. That, that's, uh, yeah, spooky, scary, I'm telling you. But we need to obviously say that hair dye can cause elevated levels of heavy metal in the hair, and Brittany did change hair colors. But these levels to the experts that looked at them seemed a bit extreme. Well, to make the plot even thicker, we mentioned earlier that Simon also died. One of the contributing factors was acute anemia, which according to some sources is present in those who have been poisoned with arsenic. So when this heavy metal reports and lead poisoning allegations came out, everybody went freaking <laughs> wild. So after this, Brittany's dad asked to have Brittany's body exhumed for further testing and Sharon absolutely refused. And, you know, my first reaction to this is, well, why wouldn't she want to know if there's something that could have contributed to her daughter and her son-in-law's death? But also that is re-traumatizing mm. at best. You know, did she just want to let her daughter rest after all of this speculation? I can kind of see both sides of it, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> this might be wrong, but I, I feel like they didn't put her dad on the death certificate because that's why he had to, he could just like get the samples of her hair. He had to sue for them. And so it just seems like an interesting roadblock that was put up. If we play devil's advocate, like this guy has not been in her life since she was what, two? Like, True. she didn't support them in any way. 
Like if I was raising a child by myself for my entire life and fell on all these hard times, went through cancer, got no help from this guy. Yeah. I'm not going to like automatically just because our child died, like what him back. I don't know. Like I, I can really see it both ways. I feel like there's an explanation for every side. And that's why this case is so confusing. I know. But this kind of brings us to the spooky, scary murder theories. Like could Brittany and Simon have been murdered? by a third party with criminal intent. And if so, who would want them dead and why? The first theory I think that we had that was pretty prevalent for about five months after Britney's death was, did Simon do it? And I'm going to say probably not because of his unfortunate death just five months later. Like, I don't think Simon had, I think he had a hand in very much deteriorating Brittany and her well-being and probably her health. But I don't think he committed a murder against Brittany. I don't know how to he say He committed like other crimes. Like he definitely yes. was like mind controlling her. And like the, the, I believe it was an abusive relationship looking the way that they lived. But mm-hmm. I'm with you. I don't think he would have gone out the same way. So the next question, I guess we go to the next obvious suspect. Did Sharon do it? Now, she was the sole beneficiary in Britney's will. And despite the big front he would put up, Simon was not rich. He was living off this woman. And Sharon also lived off Britney her entire career, basically. And so I definitely think it's relevant that she is the one who stands to inherit Britney's money. Again, she had this like very aggressive reaction to the black mold theory originally and then tried to flip it around really fast and still lived in the house, even though saying there was mold, like it just seems like a suspicious money grabbing kind of reaction, which would go to, you know, being a beneficiary in the will and wanting the money. Also, NT claimed that Sharon has auctioned off a bunch of Britney's stuff since her death, things like her passport and her underwear, just like not what you would expect, you know, from this grieving mother, uh, just very weird and suspicious in general. Oh, God, that is so weird. I read another theory that claimed that Brittany and Simon were allegedly discussing moving to New York and starting a family, but that there were, quote, three people in the marriage, end quote, Mm -hmm. including Sharon. So one of the theories is that maybe, you know, Sharon was feeling desperate that they were leaving her behind and she like went crazy. But I don't know if I believe this theory. But the thing that I struggle with most from the Sharon of it all is how could you not call an ambulance knowing how sick your daughter was or encourage her to go see a doctor sooner? That was like the real sticking point for me. But I found this article that quoted a pathologist named Dr. Richard Shepard. I guess he has like a TV show where he like goes through like famous like autopsies and stuff. And he claimed that because of all the medications that she was on, that Brittany may have just been so sedated that it's possible that neither Simon nor Sharon had any idea how sick she really was. And that may be why they didn't call an ambulance. So in the days and weeks leading up to her death, you know, Mary mentioned earlier, Brittany had been taking a ton of prescription medications. And Dr. Shepard said that these included antidepressants, sedatives, and anti-anxiety drugs. She was also taking cough medicine to help ease the symptoms of 
her chest infection, the pneumonia, and that makes pneumonia worse. And Mm. that's what could have led to her death. You know, when you have pneumonia, you need to cough. You need to get that shit out of your lungs. And she just kept suppressing it, suppressing it, suppressing it. So he also said, this Dr. Shepard guy had some illuminating thoughts on this. He also said that if Brittany and Simon had been poisoned, there would have been evidence of this elsewhere. It would have been on her skin. It would have been on her teeth. And Brittany's autopsy just really didn't reveal any evidence of this. So whether you take the autopsy report at face value or not really depends on how deep in the conspiracy pool you want to dip. Because what Dr. Shepard seemed to be alleging was, this is what the autopsy says. But if you don't believe the autopsy is accurate for whatever reason, then there's you know other theories out there that you could explore. It just didn't really seem like they looked for anything else. Like, according to NT, and we don't know how true this is, but when someone like Young dies like this, and the tox report comes back like not as an OD. It's typically standard to run a lot more tests than they did. And it's strange that they kind of just open and shut it in this case and didn't. It just didn't seem like they were willing to look for anything out of the ordinary and were just ready to call it pneumonia and anemia for both of them and just be done with it. But I may just be, you know, too far down the rabbit hole. But I think Brittany's half-brother... Jeff Bertolotti made a really good point. He said in an interview, quote, in this day and age, how does someone die of pneumonia? The report by the cardiologist, 48 pages long, said it was so extreme that she would have been in horrific pain. How did this go unnoticed by friends, neighbors, or maids? People must have seen and knew what was happening, end quote. He believed that there was a number of people who were concealing evidence or concealing what was really going on here because, again, it just does not sit right with some people. And again, to be fair, you know, why weren't these people interviewed in the first place? Did we just tie a bow on it and find a convenient explanation and call it a day? You know, I don't know. I feel like all of these things that we talked about, like, contribute to why this happened. Like, she was totally secluded. She was afraid of other people and afraid of leaving her house. And her house was filled with drugs, because they were pharmacy hopping. So she was just medicating herself. Just playing but, devil's advocate. I truly don't know what my opinions are. I know. I bet. Okay. So since their deaths, Sharon has finally moved out of the house and lived in seclusion. So much so, in fact, that she hasn't been heard from since 2011. Like some people don't know if she's in hiding or dead. So that's kind of interesting. Apparently, after Simon's death, Sharon attempted to sell some jewelry. Simon had made for Brittany, and she quickly learned it was all fake. Simon spent approximately $3 million in the few short years he was married to Brittany and had control of her assets. He created fake property deeds and jewelry to kind of assure and show off to Sharon and Brittany that he was, you know, investing their wealth smartly, handling their money well. It's so sad, no matter what way you look at it. Like a grieving mother left with no resources because her son in law swindled her and her daughter, and, you know, squandered her fortune or at least didn't leave her with enough. So if Simon like knew there was no money left, like there was definitely no motive for him to kill her. Yes. And just again, him dying kind of eliminates <laughs> also that. Also that. <laughs> Not to laugh at it, but yes. That no. But okay. So there are a few more theories. And this is where we're gonna get a little crazy, but I don't think Kelsey and I really believe either of these series. It's just, this story is just very interesting. And it has a lot of things going around parallel at the same time that, you know, we had no idea about. There's all these connections we had no idea about. And so there is a theory 
that puts Britney in kind of the crosshairs of the U.S. government. And I like to call this the Julia Davis connection. Julia Davis was a stunt double on Girl Interrupted. She played Angelina Jolie's stunt double and through that became kind of a friend of Britney's. And Julia Davis was also a government employee and got her life completely flipped upside down. And I'm going to say, go listen to Enti's episode on this one. I am legit scared to discuss it out loud because it literally involves Homeland Security and I am not fucking with the government. I'm scared. <laughs> so we are not a true crime podcast. So, but I did want to just throw it out there. And if you want to do your own investigation and research into Julia Davis and Brittany Murphy, have at it. DM me. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I know. I'm sweating. We're sweating in the closet. It's fine. Another one in of... the closet. <laughs> okay. Another theory Auntie put out that honestly isn't that surprising to me is the Harvey Weinstein theory. So when Brittany died, everyone assumed it was a drug overdose. Like that was the automatic reaction. And Enti believes this is because of all the rumors that Harvey had been busy perpetuating over the years about Britney because, oh, wow, Britney Murphy wouldn't have sex with Harvey Weinstein. So that's kind of the basis of this theory. We have some supporting evidence. Salma Hayek has come forward and actually spoke to a time where Harvey threatened to kill her when she denied his advances. Salma specifically claimed that Harvey physically dragged her out of a party, constantly berated her, and made outrageous demands during the making of the movie Frida. And at one point, Harvey even allegedly threatened her life when she refused his sexual advancements, stating, quote, I will kill you. Don't think I can't, end quote. So, would it be that far-fetched and or surprising in this instance? In NT's opinion, Brittany's death was supposed to have the perfect cover. Drugs. Everyone thought this was going to be an overdose. And then the tax report comes out and there's nothing. There's no cocaine. There's no meth. There's no heroin. And according to Enti, the media narrative that was pushed at this time was that she was on a ton of party drugs. And all these rumors were perpetuated by evil Harvey Weinstein. I feel comfortable saying that not allegedly. I think he's an evil man. <laughs> and he also referenced the report that Angelo, Brittany's dad, had done that I quoted earlier. And apparently, you know, Brittany had all these telltale signs and symptoms of heavy metal poisoning, you know, headaches, dizziness, abnormal cramping, coughing, sweating, disorientation, wheezing, and pneumonia. But no one took her seriously because everyone thought she was just on drugs. When discussing this theory, and he also reiterated kind of the interaction he had with Brittany in 2009 on set and how she seemed ill and just the paranoia. Like she knew someone was after her. So that kind of sums up the Harvey Weinstein theory. He's obviously a terrible person and, you know, he's made similar threats to other leading ladies. I just like, I have trouble. I wonder like who, like who he would have hired to do it and like, I don't know, would it really be worth murdering her? Right. Like putting myself in his mind, I'm trying, like I almost can like get him wanting to tank her career, but murder, mm -hmm. like I just, I don't know if I buy the motive on this one. I'm with you. I don't know. He's this a piece of shit, but like how big of a piece of shit? Like, yes. I don't know. Exactly. So go wild with that one. Go do your own research. Let us know if you find anything. But the second theory Enti has is the Mohammed Fayed theory. Brittany and Mohammed Fayed allegedly had 
somewhat of a relationship. Brittany was only 18 when she met Mohammed. And yep, there's a ton of pictures online. They have a ton of pictures together. You would never know. Like, I've never seen these pictures before. And yes, just to further clear confusion, Mohammed is Dodi Fayed's father. Yeah, that Dodi. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he was the one who was dating and died with Princess Diana in the car crash in Paris. So Mohammed Fayed is the patriarch of the Herod's empire. And according to NT, Mohammed purportedly really cared for Brittany and he wanted to take care of her and he did. And NT alleged that Mohammed would send Brittany money each month. And we know Sharon is a big fan of money. We can't fact check these allegations by Enti, but it sounds like Mohammed Fayed could have been funding some of Brittany Murphy's lifestyle when she was becoming an established actress. It definitely wouldn't be the first time something like that happened with a starlet. Look into what yachting is. But Enti thinks that sometime in 2007 or 2008, that Brittany found out that Mohammed had been allegedly doing some inappropriate behaviors with young girls. These allegations are public record. You can look that up. You can fact check that. But Auntie believes that Brittany, understandably, was very upset and horrified. And he thinks she gave Mohammed kind of an ultimatum. You know, I'm going to tell people what I know and I am not going to see you anymore. That type of thing. And basically, Auntie believes that Brittany's death was retaliation from Mohammed and that he was the person behind poisoning her. And Auntie believes that it was meant to kill Simon first and kind of be a warning to not, you know, not open your mouth, keep quiet. But again, because of Brittany's size, she just wasn't able to withstand the poisoning or whatever was being done to her as long as Simon was. And so she ultimately went first. Uh. I know. Here's what I'll say. I do find this motive a bit more believable. But again, I have trouble figuring out like who's this third party administering this poison like they must have had to you know get in with the security guard or like you know there's just so many holes and obviously i'm retelling a story from someone else so like we don't know the whole story we're never going to know the whole story but it just was meant to show kind of there are a lot of different theories out there and they range from black mold to harvey weinstein to sharon murphy Obviously, we don't know the truth, but all we know is the more we read and hear about this case, mm-hmm. the more confusing and muddled it seems. Why are Sharon and Simon so effing weird? Why weren't all these tests carried out when someone young dies so suddenly? Why was Brittany so paranoid that she was being watched or followed? We'll probably never know. But okay, Kels, what do you think? If you had to guess, was this case as black and white as we have been told? I don't know. <laughs> I truly, I just cannot reconcile the Simon of it all. Like, I mm. can accept that Brittany got sick in Puerto Rico. She self-medicated to the point where no one recognized how dire it was. Maybe her mom and her husband were doing something weird, so they didn't notice that she was dead in her bathroom. Like, I can accept that as a really tragic thing that happened. What I cannot wrap my head around is Simon. That to me is like something weird is going on here. And, you know, if his wife just died of pneumonia, wouldn't you think that if he's feeling similar, you know, maybe he was a drug addict. I don't want to allege that, but like, I don't know. I definitely feel like there were drug issues in that home. And I think that that's what led to their demise ultimately was their overuse of prescription drugs. 
What do you um, think? I would say I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I've just kind of learned to question a narrative that's being pushed upon us. And if it checks out, like, great, but no harm in doing your own research, right? And with this one, I'm always left with more questions than answers. And mm-hmm. I hope you're right. I hope it was something, you know, not sinister. Not sinister, not nefarious, but... Either yeah. way, Mary, you did a great job with all the research of this. Thank you for all the legal disclaimers. Nobody come for <laughs> us, please. I know this was definitely a different episode, a different tenor than we typically like to strike on this, but it's a fascinating and tragic case. So thanks for listening to this episode. And to leave us on a high note, Mary, will you do us the honors of reading our most recent glowing review? Oh my God. Yes. This is from a new friend that I met in Nick's line at 90s con. She was so sweet. Her name is Dory. And she said, oh my gosh, this podcast gives me all the 90s Y2K feels. I knowingly got the chance to meet Mary in the Nick soup. That's what I called the line. It was like just a muddled mess at 90s con and had a blast laughing and sweating it out with her. I'm so glad my sweat made a lasting impression, but all worth it. Hope to see you girls in Hartford and in Mexico. Put your fingers in the air. Ugh. Howie D, I love it. Dory literally made my week seeing that and getting to meet you at 90s con. And please, everybody, leave us a review as glowing as Dory's, and we will read it out loud on the podcast. And as Kelsey said, this is kind of a downer of an episode. But next week, we are in October, and we have a very exciting lineup in October. And we have some very exciting guests in October. This first guest, I'm not going to give it away, but let's just say, ooh, I did it again. <laughs> and no, it's not Britney, but it's pretty damn close. Or it's not Jamie Lynn or anyone. Oh, it's God. not Banana the Snake from the oh my God. Is Banana available? <laughs> we should honestly reach out to her handler. <laughs> we just hear like, give us the tea b come on no but uh let's just say someone that has worked with the queen will be on next week and we cannot wait to speak with her thanks for listening everyone Bye. bye